so let's get started. Uh, uh, yeah. Welcome to another episode of the Monitor Keeping Podcast. Uh, I'm here with Kai again, and uh, we're going to have Alex from Soup Container on uh, as our guest today. We're using a little bit of different platform to get everything going, so um, it's new to us, so I don't think there'll be any issues, but just bear with us if we pause or we're looking around at our computers here trying to figure things out. Uh, how you guys doing? Hey, not bad, man. Busy. Busy, busy, busy. Let me see. Alex, say something real quick. I want to make sure I can hear you. What's going on, everyone? Oh, there it is. There Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. No worries. All right, guys. Uh, so, again, we want to say um, thank you guys for tuning in, for listening. Um, we're part of the, I feel all off right now, the whole cadence and everything with this new program. Yeah. Um, we're part of the monitor. Uh, I'm sorry, the monitor. The Morelia Python Radio Network. So, guys, if you're not familiar with them, go ahead and check out uh, MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Check out their website. Check out their store. You're also going to scroll down and see all the podcasts that are under the umbrella there. Uh, and they pretty much cover everything you can think of. I think there's even a couple new ones um, or maybe one new one coming out. Uh, so I look forward to that. I believe it's going to be about uh, Colibrids and... Uh, a lot of good information from some good guys. Um, that being said, I guess we can jump right in here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, guys. Uh, this is uh, Kai here. And uh, we've got Alex from Sim Container on today. And um, really, it'll be a, a monitor conversation. But um, I've, I do have a couple specific questions regar regarding the, the Nucalis uh, um, pieces that you're working with. Um, I mean, water monitors in general for uh, a lot of the a lot of the beginners that have basically been messaging us and asking us questions that they'd love for us to answer. Um, and I mean, why not have the only person really working with them in the United States answer them for them? So <laughs> uh, really, really, it just it just clicked in. This lady, her, her name is uh, Laura Nicole, and um, she messaged me like maybe several days ago, like about a week ago, not even. And she's like, "Yeah, what question? Do you have like?" any information on um on that species you know and really i haven't dug back into the monitor water monitor world in quite a while i mean i've been paying attention to the new stuff and you know like um just the the new breedings and things like that stuff being proven with some of the um formerly thought genetics and lineage and stuff like that of some of the some of the actually animals that come into the states but there's quite a variety and literally you can kind of get lost and i'm already lost in the mangrove stuff so i i don't have a whole another index for for salvatore itself but um we do have john uh, uh, alex here and uh john would be his other half but he's also another water monitor legend you know and um great great information and knowledge with just these two guys alone um but yeah man uh tell us about that that project you know, and how, how it kind of got started, if you, if you don't mind. Um, well, it's been a long, it's uh, that, that project itself has been a long process. Uh, we found some animals that were actually posted on King snake back in 2015 or 16. Um, they were brought in with a bunch of Philippine turtles and tortoises. So it was a group of Nucalis, some coming eye and some marmoratus that came in. 
uh, we jumped on um, the that that whole lot of monitor lizards uh, right away. Um, so, being that they were wild caught animals, it was obviously a big challenge getting them uh, acclim acclimated to captivity. Um, and it wasn't until two thousand and nineteen that we got our first viable legs uh, from from the small group that we were able to bring in. Um, so been a very long-term project it's a limited gene pool but you know we're trying to make it work as much as possible um so right now we're so at the whiteheads right yeah the whiteheads so we have um whiteheads and then um one of the adult males was also a black animal so um we had two clutches of white white to white and two clutches of black to white heads. So, so far we've had four clutches um, from 2019 until this year. So we just finished hatching our last clutch uh, not too long ago, actually. Um, so it's been nice. limited success, but you know, we'll take every, every single Absolutely. thing that comes along. So, but it's been quite a journey, you know, because it's, it's probably the only, the only working group in the United States right now. Uh, probably in the world, even in in zoological collections. So we're 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 trying to be as as careful as we possibly can with it. So yeah. Now, what would be the difference between the black and white? Is there much of a difference other than certain uh, physical characteristics? Just looking at them. Um, the black animal, the adult male that's black, is actually a, a larger animal. Um, other than color, I would say that the only differentiating thing between the, the, the groups that we have, so right now we have, John has a, a couple of babies that I hatched and then I kept back a few and we sold a few here and there. But what we held back so far um, in terms of the black animals with the white, with the white female and the white to white, all the white to white animals have retained a smaller size versus the ones that went black to white, kind of took on the dad's genes and got a little bit bigger in size. But I think it's all island endemic, uh, very much like, you know, Indicus. Um, the white animals, for some reason, um, just stayed smaller, despite the fact that they came in as adults, they didn't grow very much, whereas the black ones got or quite big. So the male is almost five and a half feet long, whereas the white male is only four feet long. <clears throat> quite a big difference. Yeah. No kidding. I, I, you know, I've seen yours before to some degree, but um, I didn't realize that they were that much smaller than, you know, oh, yeah. I, I still think water monitor, you're at a six foot minimum in my mind. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it shuts off. It just pictures big lizard needs water, shuts off. <laughs> Four foot is kind of workable because that's what yeah. my stuff are now. But I mean, still though, to have, mm -hmm. uh, to have all that, you know, now, now you're, you're housing for, for, for them, um, I mean, you were recommending me to basically do the cage partitions that mm -hmm. have been somewhat successful so far, and I've only tried them for the last couple months. So, they're they're actually pretty good on, you know, helping my animals not destroy each other. You know, um, but I mean, are you able to go over some of the, your caging aspects and how you just work with them as far as? Um, for the for the beginners to understand how you how you're how you're working with the breeding groups individually maybe some of the babies as well sure um so 
the it's it's pretty straightforward. I actually don't keep them with large water features like you would um, other types of salvator, macromaculatus vivitatis, or anything like that. Um, I actually give them a shallow, you know, snake tub. Basically, uh, it's basically a shoebox sized, um, smaller smaller type water dish where they can get in and get out. Um, they're they don't have very laterally compressed tails by comparison to the larger salvator types so um it just inclined you know it's it it, it kind of gives evidence to the evolution of the animals in that whole philippine archipelago um specifically with new and coming eye where they're not as laterally compressed and um therefore not requiring such large water features by any means there's a lot of people out there that give them large water features and i'm sure they're going to utilize them um but you know being that I saw this feature and I, and I thought to myself, well, if I can do this without having to give them a large water feature, it saves a lot of space uh, for yeah. me and a lot on the maintenance part of it as well, which it did. So um, the adults are housed right now in um, three-way cages. So it's partitioned down the middle with the male in the middle. And then it's got um, a, like a trap door uh, where I can just unhinge and then let the latch down and then the male can go to either side. Uh, with either female um, so as soon as I see signs of you know female going through through the motions of uh, ovulation and things like that um, I let the male ride in and he does his thing and then as soon as she starts kicking his butt then he goes right back to the middle um, and that usually happens somewhere around the 18 to 20 day mark they're usually laying eggs right around 26 27 days um, and then if one female goes, usually the other females going right after that. It's, it's a competition thing with these females. And as soon as they see that one female goes through it and the other one wants to go through it right away. So it's about survival of the fittest, making sure that your genetics are going on to the next generation for sure. Um, so you can kind of see like that micro evolution happening inside your wooden box. Yeah. Um, hatchlings are very straightforward. Um, I modify exoterras or I have now that I've gotten rid of most of my exoterras, I have most of the babies in PVC cages. Um, your basic setup, you know, cocoa husk, um, a couple hides so that, you know, they grow accustomed to you when you come in and tom feed and they're not bouncing around everywhere. So they know that you're the person that's giving them, you know, their, their nutrients and stuff like that. So, um, just like any other modern lizard, again, I only offer a small, you know, water, feature where they just get in and get out and do their thing in there um they do like to climb new is you know very arboreal for for being a salvator type they do like to get it up and around so i do have like a lot of vertical branches and a lot of horizontal branches and then um i i um i screwed a lot i screwed a lot of um cork tiles onto the cage make sure that you know they're the thick kind the zoomed kinds are really good because they're like an inch and a half thick and they can withstand the the claws so um, they do utilize a lot of that vertical space, which is cool. Now, I want to ask, because these observations you made about basically the compressed tail um, mm. or the lack of a compressed tail compared to some other water monitors, um, is that something that you knew about prior or was that something you just figured out once you actually had them in hand and saw them? Um, it was actually once we saw them in hand. Um, you know, we always think these – Salvatore types are all going to be kind of like the same because they all, you know, derived from pretty much the same ancestry and they all, you know, 
um, develop those same features, those same char characteristics. And you can see that in, in some Indicus types too, where they'll have like a laterally compressed tail that has a higher crest than others. Mm -hmm. It just yeah. means that they're more water adapted and it just depends on where they come from too, I guess. Um, but yeah, I noticed this um, and, and thought to myself, you know, why give them such a large water feature when they're probably not like a black dragon wood or you know sol a yeah. sulfur or something like that so yeah man that's a that's a great observation too because uh i mean like like we've kind of been talking about you're the only one working with them really in the u.s so to actually have something in your hands and now you're trying to figure out this animal and uh i i almost wonder if it's in closer relation to you know um a different ancestor rather than or or maybe even like uh, a natural overlapping or hybridization hybridization of um i don't know there's a lot of interesting things over there on the philippines so <laughs> i mean they got fruit eating monitor lizards so i mean right it's it's definitely um a great place to see uh darwin's theory taking effect with monitor lizards you know yeah in a yeah in, in a very small archipelago by comparison to like Indicus, which is gigantic, right? That right. spans from like one side of, you know, Indonesia all the way to the other side of like far, far, far out into the Pacific Ocean. So, you know, but, but you know, you get to see it in a small archipelago and even from one island to another, which is only, you know, a few hundred miles apart, you're getting some of these really, really neat and diverse um modifications i guess you could say mm -hmm. to uh just being able to adapt to that particular island hmm. sorry i was interrupting the, the the guest questions that kai already oh, has no, we're good we're, we're we're he's gonna answer them as we go through the the stuff anyway so it's not like you know yeah and the list of questions is it's, it's there's just a few good questions you know and, um no all right from, from when you have uh little guys and then the the bigger guys as well. What are you feeding? What are you feeding them compared to size? Are, are they eating just about the same thing? But my guys, I just even the babies, they're just eating minced up of what the adults eat. You know, it's yeah, more. that's basically it. It's all minced up of what the adults eat. So it's you know, I don't really feed insects to these larger species just because of the fact that it would take a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, when I do have an excess amount of dubias, I, I, I'll throw in a couple dubias, but they go after, you know, boiled egg right away. They go right after pinkies and fuzzies right away. So I just don't even bother with the insects because, because they're just, you know, getting whole prey item and they're becoming, you know, they, they, they tend to grow a little bit faster on that diet and you get to combat metabolic bone disease a little bit better with, with that whole prey item than you yeah. would with, um, insects. So. Absolutely. Especially in my hot garage in the middle of summer <laughs> here in Northern California when sometimes it reaches 112, 14 degrees or whatever it is. Yeah. 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 MBD can be a big problem with babies. So the more you can pump into them, the better. And that's uh, okay. So just so anybody listening, what you're saying is um, there's a direct relation from heat, the heat that these monitors are exposed to and to their food intake. Uh, in relations to, um, M we say M 
BD, but uh, maybe just growth complications across the board, right? They need a certain amount of um, nutrition, sustenance to to grow at the rate that they're already growing at just because it's it's hot. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. I mean, the, the thing is, you know, these animals are meant to, to eat and then, you know, they hide after they have a, a large meal and then they come back out when, when that's happened, you know, when they've digested and they've got a bunch of different microclimates in their native habitats. Whereas, you know, we have a bunch of boxes all pumping, <laughs> all pumping each animal with 45, 65 watt bulbs. So, you know, heat, you know, heating in the summer and feeding in the summer go hand in hand. You pretty much have to feed every day in order to keep up with their skeletal growth. So, um, yeah. it's super important that, you know, you, you don't cut corners and you're always supplementing the meals as much as possible so that, you know, you don't get, um, animals with glass jaw or some kind of, you know, spinal deformity because you decided to skip out and not give them the proper nutrition that they need. Yeah. You know, skipping out, even though some people may not consider it, skipping out would be using ground Turkey all the time and then not anything for bone. Even though that's a that's a diet that many people use, even all, all three of us happen to use it here and there. Mm -hmm. but, but skipping a corner would be using whole, not using whole prey, and then going with something like that, and then not even touching it up to the point where it's sustainable more, you know. Um, so, or just feeding egg, or or even you know, um, just a single kind of diet where you're, you're not really giving it variety and then also making sure there's good bone and nutritional content within that all. So those are what we mean what, what, when we're talking about skipping corners for a monitor lizard, because um, it may be in the greatness of your heart for them and all that stuff like that. And you may not want them to be so aggressive. And so you give them this other diet or it's easier to put together, afford, and you know, you can kind of um, meal prep it. Right. But yeah. um yeah, you, you don't want to just uh, skip it on your animal with the with the right type of diet at all. Um, and everyday feeding, I, I think, was what um, you were also alluding to, Alex, was just in the summer yeah. when it's hot. If you live in an area where you can cool down your animals and uh, you can give them a nighttime drop and uh, you got more control over the temperatures, then you can do things a little differently. But uh, we're all out here in California. Kai's like in the high desert. I'm in northern yeah. California. Alex is in Northern California, and yeah. uh, sometimes we're at the mercy of <laughs> yeah, the 113 degree. De actually, probably hotter where you are, Alex. Um, yeah. Do you even get the Delta breeze out there? I know for me, like we get the Delta breeze, so it comes through and cools things off in the evening. Yeah, we get it. Um, usually starts around. Actually, it starts around this time right now. But yeah, before this, it, it there's it's still there's absolutely no tree movement at all, and it gets it gets pretty bad. So I run, I run, I pretty much run reverse lights all year round because in the wintertime it can be chilly. And then some of my tropical species, I can't brumate like my Australian stuff. So, um, I run reverse lights. So everything kicks on on a timer at night, even in the summer, but just for a shorter period of time. And then mm -hmm. when I wake up in the morning, I'll manually switch everything on for a couple of hours. So they still get a good amount of, of heat so that they can digest food and stuff like that. But Very similar to what I kind of have to do here. Uh, you just got to improvise. I, yeah. So some lights are on, like right now, I'll have like all the baby Kimberly lights are on. Most of the Kimberly's on are on at, are on at night 
during the day, my bad, or off at nighttime, but on during the day because their cages are kind of smaller. And so they're spread out throughout the house too. So heating those throughout the day isn't so bad. It actually keeps the ambient warmth up a little bit mm -hmm. from what the AC does to the house, right? And then um, my uh, all my bigger cages, all the six and eight foot cages are on only during the nighttime. Um, so I, I'm basically having monitor action all day. But dang, it is getting tiring though when you got to wake up in the middle of the night. And then that's <laughs> like when all the action happens, you know? Um, it's because the, the guys that are are now awake at nighttime basically are doing stuff when it's it's a still of the night nothing's moving you're asleep you know there's you're not in the kitchen doing stuff and they know they know yeah, they're yeah. out yeah um yeah they, but, uh, they get into these patterns where they start recognizing um you know the their activity and, and what's happening so they they reckon i mean i've been doing it for three years now that i've been in california yeah, yeah. It's a little bit different because in Florida I was I had access to outdoor caging for a lot of my indoor stuff, so it was it was fine. There was no problem at all. You know, they were outside in the in the in the heat and humidity, pretty much ten months out of the year, and then a couple of cooler nights they would come in. But um, here, you know, you you definitely have to adjust your husbandry. Um, yeah, that's crazy that we're actually talking about this situation. Me and me and Alan were talking about this actual situation with you. When you moved over here, I was like, man, he probably had to like adjust and, you know, kind of just think differently because you're in California. It's a uh, it's a bit hotter for sure. Even though Florida is humid, that's what makes it seem so hot, you know. Right. Uh, but here it's dry. Um, you basically are working against the weather a little bit, especially when it gets really hot. When it's cool, it's perfect. But when it's hot, it's like everything is basically in danger. So, um you know, mm -hmm. having to improvise and being able to set up stuff. I think Alan just set up a swamp cooler in your yeah. thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a portable, like, uh, evaporative cooler. Uh went over to the Home Depot. I found one that, you know, held 15 gallons and mm -hmm. um, got a timer on it, a couple different fan settings. And the big thing was the, the air conditioner unit I have. It's like heating and air for the, the space. It's uh, 1,300 watts when the thing's pumping cool air. And, and so uh, the, the cooler is like 250 watts. So there's a big difference in how much electricity it's pulling. Um, but it's also adding in a good amount of humidity. So my humidity went from about like 15, 20% up to 50%, uh, just probably within, I don't know, three hours of it being on in the room. Um, so I'm actually really happy with it. You know, uh, it's uh, winter still a different subject but <laughs> um but for the summer as far as cooling it off you know i'm turning off the light usually um i guess my mine's kind of flipped too like i'll go in at night i'll flip the lights back on feeding things uh and then i'll come back in the morning and i will just uh, turn off the lights and then in the probably about noon i'm flipping on that cooler and so i know for right, what I've tested so far, uh, that 15 gallons will give me about um, nine hours. So as long as I get over there before that, yeah, I try to get on the cooling process. It seems to help out rather than starting it right when it's starting to heat up. Yeah, uh, I've messed with it for, I don't know, a week now, and that seems to be working all right for me. But, uh, you know, that that incubator's in there, too, and that's that's what has to take precedence over things. And yeah. actually... Alex, are, are where is your incubator? Are you running in the same room as the animals? No, or? no, definitely not. Um, 
It's the, in the house? Yeah, the incubator is in the house underneath the stairwell. So there's a closet that goes in and be in and around the stairwell. And it's all, all my incubators are in there. And okay. The temperature in that little thing is cons conserved within okay. that under in that the Harry Potter closet, right? That's what it is. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So there's a little bit of, of a drop off in the winter time, but it's not substantial. Yeah. So I don't really have to make any adjustments to my incubation. Yeah. Uh, I have a couple of uh, species under there that need cooler temperatures. So when I kick on their heat lights, it really stabilizes everything in the winter time. Right now, everything's just running on UV. So that's that's mm -hmm. really yeah. for for my. I I don't know if I'm. I mean, I'm not having that poor of success with this new incubator, right? So I've I've now been able to hatch out the Kimberleys in it. I have indicus eggs in it right now um so I'm, I'm expecting those to hatch in a few months uh, i am basically experiencing hot and cold temperatures fluctuations because i'm keeping my incubator in my room because my reptile room would just get so hot right so i didn't really want to deal with that and i'd prefer cooler but i have a feeling with like just uh you know Obviously, we can't sleep in 85 degrees and be comfortable and stuff like that. So I really <laughs> want to get the room down to like 70s, right? 75, 78, something like that. A little bit. I mean, even though that doesn't sound that cool, but it's a lot cooler than 85, 86, 90 degrees. And so, um, you know, which it does get here in the daytime. Like right now, it's 81 in this room. And so when I'm trying to get the temperatures down, I think it meshes with the pressure a little bit. And then I'll notice condensation within the containers. You know, and um, what I've been thinking about doing is actually, even though I, I've always been against it, I'm not really going to use them for reptile cages, but I was just thinking about just getting a grow tent and putting my incubator in the grow tent. So that way that yeah. area within that area of that's surrounding the incubator is protected and it's not drastically changing so much. It'll just be the temperature that the incubator lets off, you know, yeah. um, that's and so... Yeah, I'm gonna try it, but I haven't I haven't bought the thing yet. I, it's only because I don't want to change anything now currently that I'm hatching stuff, so I don't want to fix anything all of a sudden that's not broken really, you know. Um, but if I do have issues with uh, eggs, I think popping and pressure issues and just the temperature fluctuation alone for the incubator, I'll have to set it up in something better, um, just because you know the eggs are the end result is very important, and when you got to deal with like heat spikes, temperature issues, you know, the cold is not really an issue, but you know, when it's the cold affecting the incubator itself, then it becomes, you know, the, the, the tricky part of having success rates go down because of whatever's happening. Um, Are you, you know. using a, uh, a, uh, what happened? Are you using a fridge for your incubator? Uh, I was, mm -hmm. but I've, I ended up, at that show that I met you guys, or I saw you at in um, Pomona, right? Uh, or it was, okay. I think it was Pomona. I bought a hot box at that show. Yeah, those are the best. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, I really couldn't turn my nose at it. It was something that I, I, I've been wanting to do. It looks professional. The mm -hmm. current incubator that I had had a busted front door from moving from Northern California to Southern California. So I, I was due to get one anyways. Um, but yeah, just learning it and really going through the motions with it. Uh, it's I, I used I, I was at one point thinking that the fan 
was going to mess up my eggs. So I have uh, a cup of water at the base of that to, to make up for the dryness that I live in. I mean, it's just around here, it's just so dry. We don't even get that, that ocean breeze at all. You know? <laughs> so, I'll, uh, I'll package them up and mail it down to you, Kai. <laughs> you I actually open miss the, it. Yeah, open the boxes. <laughs> living in San Jose and living in Sunnyvale, California, man, it's basically the marina right there. And so it's just full-on fog in the morning. And it actually benefited what I was doing because I didn't have to spray much. But now I got to keep much more soil. All that stuff needs to be taken care of like monthly rather than yeah. just letting it sit. And so, right. Yeah. So we're, we're trying a little experiment now. I think Alex is on the move. Yeah. Uh, sorry, guys. <laughs> I got to get mobile, but I'll, I'm staying on. Yeah, right. we'll see, we'll see how it works over the cell service, you know. It's, so, uh, so you're going you're going to the room right now, or? Uh, no, my daughter has soccer practice. Oh, all so. right. <laughs> so he's fit. He's fitting us in. We we thank you for coming on. He's a busy man. He got things going on. <laughs> yeah, that's cool, man. We could have done this. We we could. Uh, Alan gave me a bunch of different times. I was like, uh, well, as long as my self service is okay, then we can do this. It doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. We're yeah. so far so good. He's out of he's out of the house. We're uh... <laughs> <laughs> we're going to we're going to do a play by play. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I, uh, actually, Kai, I don't know if uh, I should. You know, I haven't talked to you, Kai, in like two weeks. I think we didn't record last week, did we? Uh, no, that's because of the Fourth of July stuff. Yeah. 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 Things got a little busy, and um, so I haven't actually talked to Kai other than just some quick messages here and there. Um, but Alex has been kind enough to be tempting me. With, How does that uh, affect the bromance? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we it's we're both adults. We get to it when we can. We understand that we have our, our other lives going on. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah we got, got a lot going on. You know what? Actually, I just I was ignoring everybody because I have to. I've been paying attention to my Kimberleys and they've been stressing me the fuck out. <laughs> like I was worried that I wasn't going to hatch them this time again. And yeah, I mean, just the, the fact of success alone, but there's a couple of people that are, you know, patiently waiting and you know, they're, 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 they're nice enough to wait for my, my mess ups. You know? um, yeah. So I really just want to get these customers satisfied too. And so the pressure is there. I just been now that, uh, you know, um, they've hatched. I can eat a little better. I'm just uh, sleeping better, not not looking at the incubator anymore. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of the incubator stuff, Alex, what else is in yours that you're uh, expecting soon? You don't have to mention anything that's a secret to you, okay? But um, <laughs> you know, whatever. What do you got? What do you got coming out soon? <laughs> well, there it is. There. <laughs> um, so I have some Glarida as well. Is it nice. working? All right, here we go. Uh, yeah. We can hear so, you. Um, the, I got fine. some Glardai. I got some really, some really nice top enders. Um, I got uh, the other stuff is not really anytime soon, so it's more long term. But there's lace, flavies. Uh, uh, It's dropping a little Glardi bit out. And some uh, Anglardi, for sure. Nice. So oh, it, it, it got a little iffy there for a second. Safety so first, I, I got to buckle up. Yeah. 
I think Alex said he had uh, Corinthians and uh, – <laughs> Are we back? All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're back. I think it was that – yeah, that handoff. Yeah. Uh, the cellular Wi-Fi handoff. But um, yeah. no, that's um, good stuff, man. Now, you're yeah, – uh, Nothing that, from New Calis yet. So hopefully, you know, in the next couple of days, I did see some courting. Um, so we'll see. Um, hopefully – we got some good stuff coming up. John has a, a lot of a lot of cool stuff happening right now. He just got Primordius. Yeah, um, nice. He got he's got Lace as well now. So, a lot of cool stuff. Lace and, Lace incubating or the animals? He's got Lace incubating, and I have a couple of. I have one clutch incubating right now, and then I have some Flavies incubating as well. Yes. Nice. That 200 plus day mark, man. I, I don't know how you guys do it. It's like waiting it's for fun. chameleons. I used so, to do chameleons, and it's like, man, I don't want to wait this long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a point. In, there was a point in time when there was Flavi's lace and Nucalis in the incubator at once, and that whole that whole incubator was completely full for. Yeah. I don't know. It was almost 300 days because all three species were, you know. Two hundred. Yeah. The, the last flappy came out like. Yeah. It's going through another little rough spot. The last one came out what? Yeah. Sorry. It's got a kind of breaking up a little bit. Yeah, I mean. We heard that part, but uh, it might it might be a little. Touch and go. My, I, I live. I live. There in, it is. I live in a kind of rural area, so. Oh, there we go. No got worries. it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um. So with your with your flabbies that you had hatch out, was what was the time difference between when the first one hatched out and when the second or the the last one hatched out even? Um, twenty seven days. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds yeah, that about like. Long as- that sounds about like the experience I had with, uh, you know, I think it was about three or four weeks difference between the first one and the last one, which mm-hmm. that was news to me, but everything looked good, you know, but uh, <laughs> it was a little scary, to be honest. I, I haven't had that experience before. The dwarf monitors all seem like they hatch out within, you know, a day or two of each other. So um, with only really that in my background, I was freaking out but at the same time i was trying to remain calm all the eggs looked good um and just let them do their thing but um yeah a little scary for sure do you notice the same thing with uh like lace monitors or the any of the larger monitors have you noticed such a spread in the uh the time difference yeah there's been a spread with nucalis and lace as well um i think john has the same experience with coming eye um so yeah, there, there's there's a spread with the big stuff for sure, yeah, mm. and I guess it just it just it's it's a weird phenomenon. You know, it's happened where in this case I've had you know Flavies hatched like four weeks apart, three weeks apart, um, and then there's been times when they all just hatched in unison. So it's it's weird. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, well, I'll just keep paying attention to it as as things keep uh, happening. But I, I can't help but wonder, you know, what that's about. Is it a 
what in their environment's causing that? Is it temperature differences within the incubator itself, or you know, um, is it a degree difference on one side of the the container to the the other? Or you know, I don't know. I might not ever know, but yeah. Any thoughts on that? A, I think it could be any of those things. Maybe size of the egg as well. Um, I've noticed that um, some of the larger eggs tend to hatch yeah. a little bit a little bit later, whereas the smaller eggs tend to hatch a little bit quicker. Hmm. And it, I mean, you're you're looking at some of these eggs, and you're like, okay, there's not much of a difference here, but why are they hatching like twenty some odd days apart? So. That could play yeah. a role. You know, yeah, definitely. Who knows? So much, you know, so much, uh, so much unknown, right? This is just also fairly new with monitor lizards. Yeah, yeah, just getting them down. For sure on mm. that. So, um, <laughs> I don't know if I should ask. That. Well, no, I'll, I'll go ahead and ask that. Um, what? Any future projects on the horizon? Any future ones you uh, wish to talk about? Sure. I mean, we, we're we working on uh, a variant of, of normal lace where we're trying to bring out – I have a, I have this really nice tiger stripe female that has no spots on it whatsoever until you get into its hind legs. Yes. Um, so we, pur- we purchased what we hopefully think is, is a male – uh, very high blue, very high yellow animal. And we're trying to bring those stripes out uh, from the female and try to get the best of both worlds. Um, you know, we don't, I'm we looking don't forward have to that. This kind of cheap. So, kind of like a more cleaner with bars and bands, right? Right. Versus yeah. the, the mix of everything. We're trying to go. Yeah, some of the, so we're, we're trying to, you know, work on getting as well. Uh, had a really cool project happening. It's got some highlighter. We just acquired and bring those out for 2022. Less one, more yellow. Hey, Alex, you have no wor- worries I, about these secrets getting out because it for- were like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can hear most of what you're saying, but yeah. uh, it was I mean, all this cool stuff he's talking about. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to be doing it. We're, 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 <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so, oh, uh, yeah, we lost them. Okay. So from what I've seen in person is um, – Man, he's got some some seriously cool animals going on. Um, yeah, the lace monitor. I mean, this, the the blues that this thing has. It's a normal lace monitor, but it's got like banding on it, um, and the amount of color on it is kind of insane. And then the the he has this pink male lace monitor. I mean, it it is black. It's a bell stays. Yeah. It's black and pink. And from pictures, you like ah, it's not that pink. Saturation's up, lighting is right, but now I've I've seen the thing in person, and it is a black and pink monitor. And there's no other way to describe it. It's not like there's any patches of white really on the thing either. It's just black and pink. Jeez. And so, where, you know, lace monitors, I would say, of course they interest me, but they're not like 
really at the, the top of my list, just my own personal preferences. But at the same time, when you start coming out with lace monitors that are blue and yellow and then uh, pink and black, I mean, that's eh, kind of cool to have a, a lizard that big, you know, that impressive coming in those colors. So I think there's good things happening. Hopefully Alex will come back on here pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's a, uh, I don't know. He's got to drive, worry about the kids in the back. So we uh, may prepare for him to not come back, but um, he's, yeah. he's messaging me. He says, let me get past the orchards and he'll jump back. <laughs> he's out there folks. He's, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's out in no man's land or something. So, um, the sticks. Yeah. You know, and uh, I guess back then when, uh, I mean, when I was younger, but just years, even 10 years ago, that all that area out there from like Livermore to where Sacramento is was almost nothing. You know, right. slight, slight patches of neighborhoods. You'd actually, they'd just be fields and fields, not even farmlands, just fields and fields. Right. And, um, it'd be mountain areas and valley areas. But I mean, it is a nice area to drive through. Don't get me wrong. There's a nice, um, a nice or several orchards when you're coming over Livermore and getting back down to there. And then you go into the like Martinez and Fairfield. That's the area that, that all these guys are out there above there a bit, you know, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's a nice area to drive through. I remember driving them when I was younger and then going to the Sacramento show and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, I would never drive ever <laughs> like far distances. That wasn't my thing before. Right yeah. now, now, now it's no problem, but um, yeah, but unless it was a reptile show, we're, we're gonna go, you know, right? And um, Sacramento show for California was one of the biggest for years, years like when mm -hmm. I was a kid, it always mentioned that it was the biggest show. I could never always get out there because I was just young or couldn't afford the trip, and it'd be a day or two trip, and I really just couldn't afford that. Um, but um, but yeah, now I'm actually dying to get up there just because I miss shows. And uh, come on up. It's uh, actually there's one in San Jose, right? At the end of the August, yeah. yeah I was just invited, in invited to that, but I, I told them I, I don't I don't know if I'll really be able to leave and do a three day weekend thing with everything that I got going on here. Yeah, yeah. I just I hate I hate that um, I had to turn down you know networking and money or whatever, but um, really, uh. I'm having no problem selling them online and selling them or shipping them to people and having grasshopper stuff and all that things like that. But um, the monitors that I'm also hatching out as well are kind of just selling as soon as, you know, as soon as they're popped out. They're they're basically people are finishing up their deposits, taking care of animals, and I just got to care for them for a month or two and then I send them out. So there almost isn't really a necessity necessity for me to to get a booth anymore. I do want to just have. Um, just want to have fun now, you know, go to the shows, Absolutely. mingle a little bit. Uh, I mean, that just, yeah, don't get me wrong. I love shows. I love the whole momentum of things, networking with people, getting, getting into all of it, right. Setting up and talking to kids and everything, everything in the, at the show makes it for me, even if you got to do it for 73 hours. Right. But, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. It's worth it. I just, I just will have to devote all my energy to when, I'm actually having a booth um, at Pomona or in Anaheim, which yeah. is which is local to me, so I I can go home and take care of what I need to take care of because it's not very far from where I live. It's maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes max, and um, yep. you know I can I can basically 
leave. And the reason why I can't leave, and you know, some other people might get this, but I basically got a lot of females that are going through the motions. And if I leave for a few days, you know, they can lay eggs without me knowing, or they can, or if I know that they're going to get ready to lay eggs, I won't even leave, you know, I'll, I'll mm-hmm. know not to leave. But, um, you know, when they're going through just the cycling process or even me noticing them with uh, like going through vitiligenesis and things like that, I want to be able to be around to catch every time that they're out. Now, the Kimberleys are super active. They're, they're out as soon as you turn on the light. But the mangrove monitors, most of them wait until I'm gone. And then they'll come out, take advantage of their basking time. So if I'm in the room harassing the room, they're kind of just making a bunch of noise and being in there. Uh, they're not really going to be out much. That's even if even if they're hungry or whatever. I might have a female or two that's out like that, but most of them are going to hide. And um, so my window to see things is very slim. And that's why yeah. I gotta, that's why I got to be here. You no, know, I, I totally understand that. Or man, it's if you don't see certain things, certain stages, it's like, yeah, you missed it. Yeah. You missed it. And then, um, man, that's a tough one. You know, that's, that's yeah. definitely, a tough one. it's a hard one. So um, yeah, shows for me are, uh, if I really need to, but I just can't, I just I can't leave anymore. I used right. to be able to do, go to every show that I wanted to, but now that things are in gear on how they are, you know, if it was just single, single, or into like just a few pairs or a couple pairs, but man, when there's so many pairs going on at once, and I'm really trying to see which one is going to hit the lotto for me a little bit, you know, and basically hook up and do go, go the full motions, and um, it's not as not as uh, not as easy as as I I wish it'd be. Where it's like, all right, you're gonna breed in 15, 20 days, you're gonna lay, and then I'll I'll be able to dig these things up. It's more so. Of, all right, am I, are you going through this? Should I introduce the male? Dang, I, I introduced the male too soon. They're fighting. Or I introduced the male yeah. too late, and she's she's a charging him, and and uh, I think maybe she she might be into the process of ovulating, and there's no more real need for for breeding anymore. You know. Um, so, so on a side or um, Alex. He's messaging me, but uh, since he dropped, he's he's now backstage on this new program we're using. So I'm trying to figure out how to get him back in. I'm working on it. All right. And I don't know if I have that capability. Let me see here. Uh, don't know. All right, I'm going to work on this while we keep talking about it. Um, all right, so we're trying to get we're trying to get out. We're working on getting them back in, and hopefully it'll be a he's in a place where it'll be a clear signal. We'll get into some good stuff here. Uh, but other than that, you know, I grew up with shows, Kai. I can't wait to to do a show, but for the same purposes, it's like regular life's going on. Things are yeah selling pretty good and it's almost like i have to purposely hold on to things just because i don't want to go go to a show with an empty table you know yeah and, uh, and then sometimes things aren't hatching out at the right time because the monitors are hatching all throughout the year but um you know 
you hold stuff back just to do a show? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of dealing with these same thoughts myself. I mean, um, if, I got, if I had like super surplus, you know, and I have a ton of things, but I mean, I don't. I just had right. stuff out in fair numbers. I don't oversaturate the market at all on purpose. So that way people are, are, are coming back, you know, essentially, um, or more so of the, the animals that I have myself, they're, 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 they don't lay 30 eggs, you know? <laughs> so they only lay a few eggs at a time, maybe half a dozen to a dozen. And yeah. uh, I, can, I can get it. I can get it multiple times. Sure. But uh, even then it's still only be like, you know, 20 eggs or something like that within this period of time. Yeah. Um, and so um, some eggs should hatch out in 100 days. The Kimberleys and most dwarf monitors all right around the 100 day mark. But man, these bigger eggs go roughly 200 days 180, 170, 210 is my is my the max on the Indicus that I've been sitting on. Um, and so yeah, like you mentioned, pinpointing when if these eggs will be ready by September, which is the Anaheim show, you know, mm -hmm. um, hoping that they'll pop out and i'll have them ready but it gives me just enough time to have availability if they actually hatch out prior to to the show which is like mid september or something like that i forget i even forget the date i'm i, I haven't even been paying attention to shows because they're obsolete last year and yeah now that they're back they're not back in full force but they're back um and uh hopefully we can get riding on on a couple i mean i at this point uh i think alex and them are having something in anaheim and i i, I believe i'll be joining them then um, awesome yeah so that's uh it's gonna be a big one for me and be my biggest show uh i'm really just gonna be there absorbing as much as i can i mean i've vend for the show at that at those shows for other places but never my own you know um yeah and then never like monitor strict stuff where you're coming to a, a booth with a cup with a few guys that really know what we're talking about. Um, right. We're all all at all in the top of our game, whatever it may be, little slight niche that it is. Um, but you know, you go to a show, and sadly the monitors are horribly misrepresented every time. Yeah. You, know, you might get. A table with a couple of captive bred dwarf stuff and you know you might see a captive bred water monitor here and there that was passed on and then ended up in someone else's hands and then now it's just being sold at the show but you rarely ever go to a show where there's a couple booths that are strictly for like monitor crazed enthusiasts right you know? there's tons of wild caught stuff there's tons of misrepresented stuff mislabeled stuff i mean just 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 crumb you know right and, uh, you know to see tables where all these monitors that you're looking at are majority of them are captive bred and whatever the ones that they do have are in good condition being sold for for quality as quality you know um not see, overly marked wild caught stuff part of what i'm i'm thinking about too if i ever uh, am able to get out and do a show is um the deli cup thing you know that that works for snakes they're just kind of kind of coil up and sit there anyway but i think half the draw and allure to monitors for me anyways is actually their behavior seeing them move seeing them be a lizard tongue flicking 
but yeah. how do you bring that into a show setting? You know, how right. do you use the space in a way where um, uh, you can allow, you can show some of that to people what they're capable of. Um, right. You're going to have people you, that are, gives you a better understanding of what, what you're getting. Right. Um, right. I mean, it makes you fall in love with it too. Like, not gonna lie, Mike's setups in those in those drums, right? Yeah. Where he has the the Kamin guy, and he has the Mertens that are basically um, free swimming with all this other stuff, giving you the true nature of the animal. Um, you know, may, may be able to trigger a purchase in in someone, or even the interest at all, right? They're like, damn, I saw these lizards, and they weren't just in a cup; they were actually like doing stuff. Uh, I, I thought about the same thing. I've talked to my guy about it. And uh, I had this um, idea where I was just going to make um, small cage compartments, but they're going to be kind of decorated, you know? Mm-hmm. And there doesn't really – it just makes it look nice. It doesn't really give people the full understanding, right? I'd have to set up a whole enclosure, maybe have one full enclosure for a baby, have people understand how to take care of it, right? But right. also explaining to them, like, all right, this is – this is how I have it. This is the science broken down, the the psychology and the biology of this animal and what it'll do. And, you know, this is how you're going to have it set up. And I might have like one example. That's, that's what I was thinking about. If I were to ever do a nice booth, basically like mangrove mecca slash California grasshopper or whatever. And it'd be, you know, the grasshopper side. And then it'd be the, um, the nice monitor side where, they're not just in deli cups. I mean, I may start out that way, but I really want to advance and put my monitors into something nice, you know, mm-hmm. and have them basically displayed where they they got heat. They're not, you know, looking all dead or, um, you know, just things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe, uh, maybe sweeten the monitor deal on the table each monitor comes with like a uh, little cup of hoppers and a one of those stickers you uh you got going on uh tape that to the top of the the grasshopper bin and send them on their way and uh for for those people out there that haven't seen those stickers yet they're actually kai sent me a couple they're pretty nice they're on my uh they're on my freezer now in the warehouse so nice <laughs> yeah i'm actually i actually really like the stickers too um I guess uh, I'd love to give a shout out to the gentlemen that made this for me. Um, really, uh, okay, so it all started with, you know, obviously a gentleman named Dave Urbanowicz. Uh, some people may know him for breeding white throats. Uh, he does quite a few things in the hobby, but um, really great guy. And uh, he uh, is also another Indicus magnet type of guy where. He loves them. He, he enjoys them for what they are, even if, you know, most people don't. Um, and so he drew the whole the whole head for me, scalation and and the actual um, the, the the bands between the eyes and basically made the jaw and head look perfect. Um, and so I really didn't want to lose that. And so the gentleman next that, you know, went through and did the um, graphic part for me, basically cart turned the, the drawing into a little slight cartoon, you know, added the lettering for me and the coloration that basically made everything stand out and pop out. Um, and it really, really fit perfectly well within this little circle sticker. Um, yeah. yeah, and for me, it's really, uh, 
I don't know, it's putting stone in my business or, or setting a stone or a little, little, little mile marker for, for where we've come. And now, you know, it's the sticker. Next, it'll be a shirt or a hat or I'm, you know, working on a couple other things. I'm really trying to put all my money into the right places, but I believe branding and marketing is also important, you know, um, especially when you get down the line and people, uh, the way things and the way the hobby is, right, and how we can easily get things done now, I mean, most people just can have things done at home, right, or yeah. be, uh, order it online real quick, pop in your, your, your suggestions, and bam, it's there for you. You pay, you know, seven bucks for a hat to be made and you buy like 50 hats or something like that, you know, and, um, gets your, gets your stuff out there. It's basically marketing and you already got free, free platforms like Instagram and, and Facebook. So might as well take that money that you would have spent in, in, in advertising anywhere else and put it into the fifty hundred dollars that you're going to spend on stickers or, yeah. or whatever, you know? Um, but man, the, I don't charge for the stickers. I basically just give them away as, as, Hey, here, thanks for purchasing. You know, here's something that represents my business a little bit before it was just little jelly cups and paper towels. So you didn't really know who the hell is sending you stuff, you know? Right. Now, now it's putting a thing. So you yourself, man, with that, uh, with your, with your logo, all it needs to be is put in a little bit of, uh, editing and have a, have, a, have somebody work it out for you. But, I, I'm still messing. I thought of making something new, so I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm figuring out the process. But um, <laughs> Alex is sending me uh, messages right now. So, unfortunately, uh, with this, the way this is set up, I don't have access to get him back in. So I don't know if he's going to be able to. Uh, I'm, I'm working on it, but. Um, you know, we're just gonna have to proceed. If he if he's able to get back in, then then great. But um, back to the logo thing, I I'm thinking it was a uh, it was a basically a Brettles python on the logo. Yeah. So I still have a ton of Brettles pythons, uh, and I love those snakes. But I'm also doing a ton of monitors now. So uh, I was talking with about this with my wife and like, well, maybe something needs to change. Maybe something double, needs to kind of double incorporation, right? Snakes. And right. Lizards. Right. To be more representative of kind of what's going on with everything. So I mean, um, I'm thinking, you know, I'll, I'll get a, maybe a design, a new design, and then I'll, I'll worry about maybe making some, you know, make myself yeah, a cup anyways. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, at least, uh, for, for what it is, uh, I mean, some of those other stuff I think people charge for. You know, the stickers are like stick. They're stickers, so right. I just they're just here. You go. They're they're gifts, and I really appreciate you for your thing. And you know, it also when they when they stick it up places and people ask them about it, you know, they put it on their canteen or their skateboard or or their refrigerator or you know, um, someone's gonna run by it or something like that and ask about it or something. And right. that's where that's where that's where your your promotion and stuff like that kind of move along by word of mouth. Um, even if it's just a little sticker, you know, right. Uh, for, for the new guys coming up, it's like, we're just entering this. Uh, we're mostly just hobbyists, but we know that it's, it's also a business. It's, it's something you want to take professionally. People, business is no longer done how, like how it used to be when you come into a place and 
you know, you, everything was done in the back. It'd be brought out to you and you got the end product. Yeah. Now, now businesses, people are going to look into your business. They're going to want to see some transparency. They want to know from the start to your waste, how you're getting rid of stuff, how you, how you are as a, as a whole, you know, they're, they're not just, uh, I mean, coming from the sticker to having just empty deli cups before, right now it's like a, a type of brand and you're branding yourself. You're making yourself more professional. People want to look at, at, well, they want to easily be able to differentiate you from the rest. And that's where yep. your logos and your things like that will come in. Um, you know, if you don't have any, essentially people don't know what, what, what they are, unless you tell them, you know, yeah. having an Instagram page and having a Facebook shoot, I'm barely even, I actually don't want to make all those other things. Cause I already have so many pages that I'm taking care of already <laughs> along with YouTube and Instagram and this and that. I don't need separate business pages. So I have them lumped on to my Instagram and my Facebook. And so, but eventually they will. There, we already made a California grasshopper page because people want to see more than, or they only want to see the business part. You know, they don't care yeah. about my postings and they don't care about my rantings or or whatever else. You know, it's just uh, getting that to that transparency again, where they're seeing, all right, this 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 company is regularly posting. They've got reviews. You know, reviews is one thing, but man, they're gonna want to see like how how it works for these people and all that stuff like that. And so. Um, you know, it, it's, it's great to put yourself out there, but you also have to have all that responsibility too. I, you know, it can't be, uh, can't be taking your anger out on customers, <laughs> you know, or, uh, you know, just, just act professional. Cause in, at, at the end of the day, that's, that's what's uh, expected of you as a business person or, you know, you, yeah. I think some reptile people are, they can be quite introvert and it's, that's how we get into this anyways, because the whole rest of the world was was a obliteration of itself. So you had to find something that was great and to get into. And it gives you a passion. It gives you, you know, excitement, all that stuff. Right. And um, so I know some people have a hard time of getting to the point of, all right, I have to take this from just my little hobby to now a business, you know. Right. And, um, you actually have to get out there. You have to put yourself out there and you have to deal with all the customers, all the right. answers, all the questions, all the the emotions that you'll go through, even if you are disrespected by somebody that is just asking a question or something like that, you know, um, you don't you don't want to let that basically um, take over I've, take over your your business, you know. Yeah, I've ran into some awesome guys, some awesome breeders that yeah. uh, work with some really unique animals. Yeah. And unless you had an opportunity to actually physically run into them in person, you would never know they were out there, never know they exist because they um, either they don't know how or they just don't want to, want to. deal yeah, with that side of things. So, um, yeah, there's quite a few of those, those people actually out there just because of what you said. There's some introverts and they like yeah. their reptiles. They don't want to deal with people. And um, right. it's, you know. Uh, some of them, honestly, they even can, they, they have the animals figure it out, but they control their, their production to a certain degree. Uh, yeah. they wholesale out to people, um, because they want to deal with as, uh, little people as they can. So, right. Oh, Hey, we might, we might be in luck here. So, um, 
Alex. Alex is a ghost. I hope you guys know. He was here. He's still here, kind of. <laughs> yeah, we should be getting him back. Oh, okay. You guys are getting the uh, the inner workings of this. So, you know, going forward with this, we're we're gonna have a couple different options available because um, we've run into some some issues um, as far as getting people on and different setups and platforms and whatnot. Um, so we're gonna try to figure this out on our side. Thank you guys for being patient with us and and uh, working through us with some of this stuff. But yes, yeah, some technology just aren't compatible with others. You guys should know. There's Apple and uh, and yep. stuff that basically uh, just need some more fine tuning. <clears throat> some some people are 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 you know only limited to Apple stuff because they all, they have only Apple products. <clears throat> so we will have to find uh, just a, a platform that runs that stuff without an issue. All right, and he's backstage. Let me try to get this going. Some dead air here. <laughs> we're gonna need we're gonna need some editing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, okay. So I'll I'll let that work out. Hopefully, we'll see him here in just a second, and um, and go from there. Um, man, so when he does pop back on, if he does pop back on, he's been sending me these kind of pictures of, I mean, John's got the Spencers already and Alex has been sending me some pictures of these Spencers monitors and I got to thank for them. I honestly do. I know they're in there and there's, there's a lot of different species I can look at. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Maybe one day. Oh yeah. Yeah. That looks fun. And, uh, there's, oh, there he is. Alex, welcome back, buddy. Hey. I, I think. Oh, there we go. There we go. I, um, I was getting my makeup done backstage. So. Yeah, we're uh, talking about uh, the Spencer eye that you got. I didn't say, uh, I didn't say anything. I said you're sending me uh, pictures of, um, <laughs> of uh, the Spencer eye. Man, it's... Uh, they are so tempting. They... But... They're not easy to find. There's very few out there. And so they reflect that that price tag too. So it's, I mean, it's a commitment. Um, but what an awesome species to look at. For, for the people that haven't, just just Google them. Go look up a Spencer's monitor. And um, uh, they're, they're pretty unique looking animals. So uh, they're a desert, they're like a desert monitor type, shrub desert type, right? Yep. Um, man, they their colors are like cream white and that grayish look that's a yeah color. yeah and their faces are really cute uh yeah I don't know. i've never really seen a mean one I've, I've, <laughs> actually, I've never seen i've never even seen one but i've never really witnessed any of them be aggressive the ones that i've had seen videos of now those things are known to be like the ones that i've seen before are known to be really fat they're big, really chunky. Yeah. Go yeah, ahead, chime in, Alex. Tell us about it. They Keep can me going. be. <laughs> yeah, if they they can, they're definitely susceptible to overfeeding, kind of like savanna monitors. Um, some of the areas that they come from actually freeze over in Australia, so they have a longer than normal 
brumation period. Um, you can tell, you know, their tails are very short and stout, and you could tell that they're, you know, used for fat storage during those really brutal times where there's yeah. just absolutely nothing to eat. So mm-hmm. they just, you know, depend on those reserves. And if, you know, if, if, if you have them and you're not keeping them in adequate temperatures and things like that, you know, you can definitely, uh, I guess, over overfeed them to the point where they become so obese that, you know, they're just going to not do anything for you. And a couple of people have had some challenges with Spencer. Mm-hmm. And I think it boils down to that, you know, not having them set up properly. Yeah. Is that, um, so for an approach for Spencer, is that something you would do is just almost watch the tail base and, um, kind of base. I, I mean, you talked about a longer, uh, brumation period, but see, I, I just can't help but think if they were in my care and you're saying this about like the, the, the fat storage in the tail base to kind of reference that if the tail base is good, then you might get put on a uh, involuntary diet for a little bit if you're getting too fat, you know. Um, try to burn off some of that fat and then keep the, the temps up in the in that part of the year and then uh, almost prep them for the cold part of the year too, you know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's that's a great approach to it. I mean, it's it's definitely a species that there's not much known out there. I mean, even in Australia, it's not regularly kept like lace monitors or, or flavies or anything like that. So, so it's, you know, it's touch and go with them. And then a lot of the people have, have had, you know, unfortunate circumstances with their Spencer. I think, you know, if they bring him to the vet and stuff like that, a lot of them have, you know, identified extra fat storage as a possible issue as to why they perished or, why they're not yeah. doing well or, you know, why there was no reproduction from those mm-hmm. specific animals. So, um, yeah, definitely keeping an eye on the diet, keeping an eye on the tail base, uh, you know, making sure that there's, you know, the, the side of the animal, the saddles aren't like, you know, like over draping to the point yeah. where they're, you know, dragging their tummies along the substrate. That's, that's huge. Um, that's when, you know, you have an obese animal and you need to definitely Jenny Craig them. So, <laughs> um, definitely, you know, things to keep an eye on. Um, and you know, once, once that moment comes where it starts getting chilly around here, just, just kind of, you know, take away the opportunity to eat every day so that they're not having to go through that process of, you know, getting so much food that they don't know what to do with it. So you say, you say Jenny Craig and them now, um, <laughs> What are you what are you referring to if you want to get into that a little bit cuz I, I want to stay on Spencer I uh, you know cuz they're I, Yeah, I mean you're you're definitely not going to feed them every day for sure. I mean young animals for sure. Obviously, you know, the point of of existence for a lot of these animals is to grow as quickly as possible and 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 breed. And so, you know, once these animals get full grown or they're reaching adult size, you have to cut back on on the amount of food, especially because it's an animal that has, from what I could tell, has, has a slower metabolic rate than let's say a lace monitor or a flabby or something like that. That's more high sprung, high strung like, and like is more of an throat. active forager. Yeah. Like yeah. a white throat. Yeah. Like a savannah now, or things like that. Um, with my, with my Indicus, so I used to do like a, I used to have Argus and flabby cross, right. And then I also had water monitors growing up. 
my my indicus eat way much less than what a salvator can pound down even even babies right they just they just pick off much more they'd rather just nibble grab a little bit to eat and then mm. take off you know um, they're not really there to gorge and then i'll even notice if i do feed them a ton like when i'm trying to get females to that point right i now skip a day in between so that way they have some time to digest and rather than, than just pounding and pounding and pounding um and it's uh, been more beneficial on my animals that they they don't have that 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 miserable look when they're so bloated you know um and so with this i mean i'm basically taking my indicus and most of them all my monitors through winter um setting a kind of like a brumation tone where i'm using the normous hemisphere drop and basically following that remember how i asked you that about that before where uh, what should i do for my monitors even if they are from the southern hemisphere um i i couldn't make the the in this in the southern hemisphere summertime our summertime would be their 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 mm -hmm. change right and yeah. so i really couldn't do that here um, i think me and alan talked about this in another episode as well where in the summertime here is dang too hot so i couldn't get it down so what i did is i waited for fall to come take advantage of fall and start tapering down and uh decreasing my heat the heat was dissipating already because it's no longer as hot so that'll normally go down on its own but the the food intake also went down too from eating maybe every a little bit every day or every other day to only eating twice a week and then once i got into like full winter time like december january february and even into march uh, the animals ate maybe once a week, every 10 days, something like that. And um, it just helped out so much better than and keeping them hot, having them run through 12 months of the year, expecting to breed them or something like that, you know? And so I gave my animals a great reset in their whole cycle and, and recharging and stuff. And um, talking about the Spencer, I, I think that's what they, they, they'd be needing, you know, something like that where, you're acknowledging that where they're from, even if it's the desert, it does get really cold. Deserts, even the most stereotypical thing is that they're hot and dry all the time, which is untrue. You know, there's there's dew and cold parts and desert snow sometimes, depending on the areas, too. Mm -hmm. No, that's a good yeah. point. There, there is desert snow um, pretty much in every desert, right? So, I mean... Um, and, and this is no different, you know, some of these animals come from a, from plateaus where it does freeze over. So, um, you know, you think of Australia and you don't think, Hey, there's snow in Australia, but there actually is. And, um, these animals come from that area. So you, you just gotta be aware of that and make sure that you, you put that into your planning. You know, if you do decide to, to jump into an investment such as this, make sure that, um, your typical, what you think you know about monitor lizards does not apply to the species. Put it that yeah. way. Right. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> it's kind of like having Bolani, right? It's kind of like having yeah. Bolan's pythons where, you know, they're, you know, high, you know, higher elevation animals, cooler temperature animals. It's kind of like the same thing, you know, like you, yeah. you, just, you make adjustments to the way that. You can't do what you do to carpets as you do to the Bolani, right? And right. that's for me for years. That's what they thought. And so you would just, plug in the same thing you know um arrogant as as we can be but um you know now we, now we have to think 
now we have to think differently it's it's, it's a bit for the animals that sure they're all animal all monitors we're talking about monitors here and on a on a somewhat of a spectrum a lot of them are the same you know sure you're keeping good surface temperatures and things like that but when it comes down to that those those little details man there's some stuff that makes them very different from each other you know from mm-hmm. from africa species to the asian and that micronesia area are all a bit different and then into australia it's it's just a whole another ball game and so it's um no longer where i consider dang all all monitors are the same and we're just going to use the same the same techniques you know that's that's kind of how i've been able to get the the indicus going is because of trying not to just think like an australian keeper would think you know um yeah, and so I've had to like dig the brains of, of actual Indonesian people or or like Danny Gorman himself where he's over there, you know, just asking him for information on what he's surface temperaturing outside and things like that and applying that. You know, what I learned is in like Indonesia, their coldest night is our summertime. And it's basically just not really extremely cold it's just the clouds aren't there so there is no rainy season and so the heat just gets to expel and escape rather than being trapped underneath the clouds where in normal normal rainy season would trap all that heat in and create more um and so that's uh where i learned all right i have to actually give them something more than what people were considering before where this part is near the equator and i I would never think it would be it'd be going below 75 which is which is totally untrue. And now I know that most people are going to suspect that this area around the world on the equator is always going to be hot and warm and be consistent. But man, there's so much more microclimate that is involved. And that's what you have to really take into consideration. Because if I were to just keep my animals hot and blaring, always at 80 degrees, never really thinking about where they'd get to a colder area or what just changes throughout the year and assume that it's always just going to stay the same always just going to be hot and humid that there is no change for them they don't get a an actual uh, a sense of all right what is the weather doing to me now what is my body doing and then you know then you're taking advantage of that if their their bodies are all right it's now egg production time things like that you know um that all fall into play where the weather is for me working in my benefit giving me more successful clutches um healthier animals and all that stuff i'm seeing for me, with with Alex, Alex, I want you to figure out the problems before I get Spencerized. So, uh, <laughs> you know, go ahead and I'll just ride your coattails on that trip, and uh, <laughs> you go ahead put in the work and just just let me know what you do. We'll, uh... <laughs> well, I mean, l- luckily for us, you know, we live in a in a in a climate that's very similar to what you know they're mm-hmm. probably used to. Yeah, you know, we get we get extreme heat and then we, we, I mean, we don't get quite as cold. Sometimes we'll freeze over, you know, we'll, we'll have some dew or, and some frost on the floor, but um, I think it's advantageous to them to have this drier climate and, you know, in, on the West coast and it would be to have them outdoors in Florida. Like I wouldn't, yeah. you know, I would never think I can't keep a, a certain species of monitor lizard outside if I was living in Florida, but I think, you know, maybe that's one of the few species, you know, grissiest being another, um, that mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have very good success with outside in, in high humidity areas such as Florida. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I kind of think along the lines of uh, with the Spencers, um, like Brettles pythons and diamond pythons. Uh, you know, you got to cool them down um, mm-hmm. to be more successful with them. Definitely, you got to cool them down, and they're they're capable of operating and using cooler temperatures uh, than some of the other species in the in the Morelia family. Um, so maybe like you're saying something along that, that same line with, uh, Spencer's and you bring up our climate, um, does that mean you're going to, you're going to keep them outside? No, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But, uh, going from going from your, man, I don't know how it is in the wintertime. I mean, I, I just know that it'll probably get chilly, right? Thirties and forties, but, um, I think going from your summer to fall would be something different. I just don't know how that'll how that'll work. Hmm. Oh yeah, I mean, we have we have four seasons here, um, yeah, in in Northern California and and you know in Florida there was just two. It was just either really really hot or just hot. And then there was a couple <laughs> of cold, and there was a couple of cold days that came in, you know, from from up north. But that's that's pretty much it. Where you know you do have a drier period versus a wetter period and that's i think a little bit more favorable to like the indonesian stuff and if you know if you're into like tegus and stuff the south american stuff and that's why you know a lot of people in florida um have had such great success with tegus and iguanas because it's pretty much yeah a a mirror image of what's happening in south america except just in the northern hemisphere so huge success for those people that are working with those species in South Florida. Yeah. Man, that kills me to admit, but it's true. It, it seems like you got to go through a lot more work to set something up. Like, <laughs> like what Kai's doing, you got to put a lot more into the thinking process behind keeping some of these Indonesian species rather than the, a lot of the Australian dwarfs and whatnot. It's just, it seems like they take to it pretty well. Um, I can honestly say I've, I've been a little spoiled with those guys, uh, as I'm sure. Um, well, you know, Alex, have you noticed that yourself? Has there been a big difference between breeding dwarf monitors in Florida as opposed to out here in California? Or is it just they're just prolific across the board? Um, <clears throat> I think in Florida, I had a period where I didn't get as much production, like in the in the span of between September and going into December, I didn't get anything from dwarf mm-hmm. monitors. Um, and here in California, I've actually gotten some clutches in December, January and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm not sure if it's just because um, here there, there's a difference in, in terms of like humidity levels or just the dry spell that you go through. Um, on the opposite end of the spectrum, whereas in Florida, it's super, it's super humid in the summer. So that I think that's why, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the activity ceases because it's just hot and humid all the time. And then yeah. here in the wintertime, we, we get a little bit more humidity because of the fact that it rains here in the wintertime and it's just mm-hmm. dry as hell, you yeah. know, in the summer. It's, uh, so I think that's, I, that's that change that I was kind of mentioning mm-hmm. where, it's uh we don't even pay attention to it it's just happening on its own outside but it benefits our animals mm-hmm. in a way and uh we're alan and i joke about this we call it the neglecting period but it's kind of what it <laughs> is you're, you're not you're not making it 
really humid in there all the time. And you're not even paying attention to that stuff all the time. It's just you're just going to feed a little bit and that's it, you know. And then they kind of do their own thing. That's just, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's Modern. weird because it works. And yeah, scheduled really, neglect. I think that's what makes modern lizards so unique and so special is the fact that, you know, they're a. Did it freeze, right? You're going to make this great speech out. There you are. Okay. Yeah, it froze. I, yeah. I was yeah. Say, uh, you know, these things are so unique in the fact that um, you can go, they, they can take a little bit of abuse. Um, they're used to it, you know, from where they come from, they go through, yeah periods of famine and um even even the stuff that lives you know in the middle of the equator you know they 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 go through their spells of of abuse so they can take yeah. abuse a lot better than a lot of other stuff yeah and uh, that's uh, it just yeah well i hope people don't take it the wrong way we're not really trying to it's just it all inter in, in, interfolds with giving them this uh break period where we're talking about mm. and they basically don't get to eat a lot. They're slimmed down a whole ton. And what happens is when their body is tapered down like that and they go back up, it's the trigger of all the now they're getting fat reserves back and more protein and basically running through a, being able to, to gain um, sustenance to be able to produce. And that the laps that they went through prior, whether it be something as simple as a few weeks to a few months that I do like this last this last winter I sent my my indicus and my Kimberly's through I say three to four months of not really doing a whole lot you know now man uh have you been doing the brumation I know you've probably done brumation stuff with maybe some North American animals have you been doing them with much of your monitors other than giving them a little bit break have you like gone down with the weather um with I, I I do with the lace. So I, what I do is I I lower their temperature. So I just take the wattage down on on their cages, um, the flavies as well. The 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 dwarf stuff stays as is, but they naturally do it. Where I just cut some food down, um, and I'm not feeding as much, and, and that usually triggers them to to not be as active and not try to go through reproductive cycles. And that's the thing, you know, you don't, like you said earlier, trigger is, is the key word. You want to trigger them to go into their cycles. You don't want to have to have them consistently going through cycles throughout the year because you're going to end up, you know, obviously putting a huge impact on the shelf life of your animal. If, if you're having them breed, you know, six, seven clutches a year, that's, that's not something that's natural to them. And I, I that's more abuse to me than, you know, um, cutting back on resources just so that they could recharge their batteries and, and then you could trigger them again later on in the year. Hmm. So more, more of a, a long-term approach basically for the overall monitor or the animal. And um, um, you're looking long-term rather. Cause I mean, it's well known. You can pump these things. Uh, you can pump out some babies, just keeping these things fed and hot all the time. But I think, you probably noticed it just in your, your years of doing it, your experience, you can also burn some animals out. Um, so it's exciting. I think, I think it's exciting for, for new keepers and new breeders to get on the scoreboard, myself included. 
you know, and you're like, wow, this is amazing. These things are just pumping out animals. But then they, you might be two years into it and then you have an animal that's just not producing, not doing the same thing, almost has a certain attitude and behavior to it. Um, so, you know, you, you've obviously been doing it a while. Is that is that part of something you learned or did you start with that um, approach or is that just something that's developed over time? No, definitely learned, um, you know, uh, at, at the beginning stages in the, you know, in the, in the mid to late nineties, it was all about heating and feeding them. And, mm-hmm. um, it, you burn out your animals that way, I think. Um, and it wasn't until I started talking to more European keepers where they kind of have like a more methodical approach to the animals versus the breeding aspect of it. And, you know, the longevity of the animals and being able to enjoy the animals for a longer period of time. Um, and having them go through their natural processes, right, of of going through hibernation or brumation and, and going through these great moments of reproduction and things like that on a more consistent basis year in and year out. But you can't get that doing six, seven clutches a year. You you, you won't get that that same method, you know, like that same methodology of, you know, having your animals live, you know, f- for, for for what they're supposed to be you know, and what mm-hmm. they're meant to live. You're, you know, you're just, like I said earlier, you're just cutting down on the shelf life of your animal. If you're, if you're in it to just, you know, get all these eggs and all these clutches, you know, you're going to look back and think, what did I do wrong when you have a dead female? And then mm-hmm. maybe you didn't hold back as much as you wanted to. And then you're starting over again. Cause you know, it's happened for sure. It's happened yeah. to me. And I'm sure a lot of people out there have gone through that heartache and that frustration of losing an animal and not, you know, setting yourself up for the future. And yeah. um, that's probably a big reason why, you know, you you, you kind of see like you kind of like a horse with blinders on where you just see like, oh, man, all this production is great, you know, and, you know, the animals are doing a great job of, of, of you know, making these babies for us. And, you know, we're getting to sell them and things like that. And then you kind of lose the aspect of it, why you got into it in the first place, which is to enjoy the animals. And, um, I think I learned that more speaking to a lot of the European guys because they, that's more on the forefront. You know, breeding is always the end end game for all of us, right? It's why we get these animals and why we put pairs together and things like that. But, um, also to kind of offset, you know, the happiness that you get out of breeding your animals. You also get to enjoy a lot of these naturalistic behaviors that they, that they, uh, you know, showcase for you inside of a box. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's what I've been trying to gather with my Indicus because, uh, I, I mean, I've killed some, um, sadly just trying to produce myself, even after successfully getting a clutch from a female, um, a few months later, trying it again and really, um, I felt like what I should have did was just not feed her much after that clutch. Cause then what I did is I tried to kind of trigger another one. And what that did is she just, instead of having this break in between that clutch, um, she just pounded on more and more food. And I thought, all right, this is it. She's basically going to be doing this again. And really it wasn't at all. It wasn't a thing where, all right, she's going to be going through a whole another process. It was just her gaining and gaining weight. And bam, I lost her later that year. Um, and it's, it really sucked because um, I thought I was doing the right thing. But really, I should have just tapered her back, let her 
you know, just gain enough weight not to develop follicles. That's that's the thing is if I can that's what I'm currently dealing with now. So as as Alex mentioned, where I have Kimberly's and we've I've talked to, with both Alan and Alex, I'm trying to get my girls to stop. They basically are just <laughs> just just shooting out eggs all the time where a female has already given me like I'd say five, six clutches where I, I didn't even want all of them. They she just right. kept on dropping eggs even when I had no male with her. So then I went down and I just all right, what am I gonna have to do? I just basically cut her diet, took out all the all the anything that was egg or chick or quail and start just going with just bugs. And even the grasshoppers, I was doing less of that. And so now it's like and I have to really, really taper her back. And I even even to this point right now, I think she's just ready to go again. And um yeah, I actually don't know what to do other than to not breed her, try to take down the lamps just a little bit and go from there. You know, maybe next year this uh, or going into next year, winter time, I'll just cool her down and and then wake her back up. What are you, you know? doing, Alex? What what are you um to to stop a female? So sometimes these animals are um, so prolific, you know, they just keep going. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing is um, it's paying attention to, you know, from the from the day that I journal, right, the day that is that that I dig up eggs. So it's usually between 24 and 48 hours prior to that. And um, those next 14 days are probably the most important days as to whether or not you get your female to cycle again or not. So if you can find a way to maybe feed less during those 14 days, there's a good chance that you won't trigger, you know, Mm. um, another reproductive event. Um, I'm not saying it's, you know, 100% foolproof, but I'm saying it's a good chance because you, you think, okay, she laid, she looks like a raisin. I got to power feed the shit out of her (laughs) in order for her to get back going again. But instead you're you're being counterproductive, right? Because you're just starting another trigger again. So it's yeah. just amount. It's just you know, can you can you gauge it well enough, where you're feeding her enough to, to get her back on her feet and get those nutrients back into her body, um, you know after after laying and 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 expelling so much of you know, of those nutrients and all that stuff into those eggs and that you know egg laying event, but not to the point where you're starting another trigger. Right. Now that's an interesting thing to mention and and. For people that haven't noticed it, it's a it's a concept that I'm I'm still very new to. It's just kind of come up, so you're actually confirming some things for me and and what I'm seeing with that. So, um, you know, feet. I, I would take that same approach. It's just I got to get that that weight back on that female. You know, I got to make sure those folds start to fill out, and yeah. then you're right back into the square one. Yeah, yeah. Like what what I'm trying to look for is. My her, her her the meat in her tail base gets back to what it kind of was, but her belly isn't doing all those bloating things, you know, like where she's all of a sudden looking plump. Because a, a female Kimberly can go from flat to like a little balloon and very short. And I have a girl right now that was um, going through all the the relaxation part of after laying, right? So just just being kept by herself, fed kind of light. Um, she, 
she's bloated again just today the last <laughs> couple of days and so i'm just like all right i'm gonna pull this mail i really don't want any of this happening right now but i'll just make sure that you're taken care of so i, I revamped her nest box you know added more sandy soil to the other areas gave her more options and just let it gonna let her do her thing i, I really don't even know if she's grabbing to leave the mail in there or anything like that it's just yeah it's, it's a so mess. That, that would lead to the next question maybe alex um you have a female and you're trying to ride that line where you're getting nutrients back into her, um, but not push her into another cycle. Let's say she then goes into another cycle. You're already there. Do you keep feeding? Do you feed her through that for the, for that nutrients? Because she's already going to do it uh, for the most part, or are you going to pull back still and, um, pull back and and try to still interrupt it maybe cause her to reabsorb or you're looking at maybe a, a bad clutch that might shut her off after that i mean these are some of the issues that might happen what it what what do you look for what do you do uh if if you're at a point of no return leave the mail in or put a mail in it's better for her to lay fertile eggs and infertile egg mm-hmm. because Laying in fertile eggs is is for for a female twice as labor intensive as it would be laying fertile eggs. It, whenever I've received infertile <laughs> eggs, I've always just seen females just um, labor a little bit more, right, than when they're laying um, fertile eggs. It's almost as if it's it's kind of unnatural for them to be laying in fertile eggs, and it takes a, a, a lot more of a toll on their body than laying fertile eggs. But yeah. I would say, yeah, if, if you're, you're at the point of no return, you're like, crap, you know, maybe I didn't engage this correctly. Throw the mail in because you're still within that window, you know, 14 to 17 days. You throw you throw a mail in there once you see her going through through the motions and you might as well get fertile eggs out of it and see if you can gauge it better the next go around for sure. Mm. So this is basically a, at this point, it's, it's like a practiced art for you where – it's been hands-on experience watching your animals to learn these different, um, I guess, signs that they're giving you and what to do with each animal. What would you, what would you say like your, your success rate is now with reading all these signs and uh, getting it right? It's still piss poor. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of miscalculations sometimes. It's like, Hey, I thought you guys were doing the business. What happened? <laughs> A lot of times where I've dug up nest boxes to find them empty, and I'm like, "Wow, wow, oh, I know." And uh, okay, so, I've had no, that happen. It's, it's it. I don't think with monitor lizards, you're gonna get like this turnkey thing. Yeah. Where you know some other species of reptiles have become so cur- turnkey for people that it's just like you know clockwork, uh, right. just super synchronous, right? It's never yeah. gonna be that way. Yeah. It's never going to be that monitor lizard. They they throw wrenches at you and the whole kitchen sink, and I think that's why I love them so much yeah. <laughs> because it's just you're. It's always a challenge, right? You're always getting challenged. You're always having to think outside the box with them, and you know the they're they're not meant to be you know synchronous. Where like you know you do certain things with certain snakes, and you're automatically guaranteed success for the most part, right? You're never right. going to get that with these things. Yeah, I just got to pay more attention. Dragons like, or, you know, some 
<clears throat> you get something to them right away if you run like this this special way of doing things. It's like a, a guide a guideline, you know, like it's almost like it's almost like reading a syllabus for, for a class and if you follow these steps, this is how you're gonna get an A. It's certainly not that way with Mario Lizards. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get that a lot and I'm not trying to ripe on anybody that's coming to me for questions. You know, it's just, it's just not so black and white as like breeding snakes mm. is or some other animals. It's, it's so much more, I'll have to dissect everything that's on your end to even understand how to even help you. You know, I'll have to understand that first, not just tell me, telling me what you have and, and things like that, you know, uh, Shoot, you might be able to ask me questions and then you can go ahead and plug in and see if that'll work for you and actually definitely try it. Don't just take my word for it, you know, test it out. But, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, it's not so from here to Alabama or here to Florida, it, like we've talked about, there's just so much more that you would have to consider than, than just setting up a cage the right way. It's the temperatures outside and how that weather is affecting everything. And uh, it can play a role if you capitalize it or not. And for, for us, it's taking advantage of the weather change and the winter time and, and the drought or whatever. It's, it's beneficial. And we can add water to it, you know. Um, but like Alex was mentioning, where a place that's so saturated, it's hard to remove the water or, or make an area dry when you, you'd have to actually control it within doors, you know. Um, so... There's got to be some 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 scientific or um, some psychological term for what we're describing here. I, I have a feeling it borders on the unhealthy <laughs> that we're we're in this toxic relationship with animals that uh, you know we're always trying to fix fix the issues. <laughs> we're trying to figure it out, uh, take it on, and um, um, but I, I hear you on that. You know, it's it's exciting to me as well. You want. Th that challenge a little bit and you know we were just talking about spencers um yeah. they're they're kind of still a, a new frontier and uh yeah oh man i mean even lace monitors lace monitors weren't that bred heavily until just the last few years yeah you know, um before it was still just a hand a couple guys that did it and that was it now it's uh quite a few and the market's full of them and man it's I don't know. There's so many lace monitors nowadays. So many. <laughs> I've seen like three different types too. <clears throat> How many are there, Alex? There's a few that that are. There's that yeah, ugly one. I, I like that one. <laughs> Which? I like the dark one. The one with the black face. I actually like that. Oh one. yeah. Yeah, the dark ones are nice. Um, there's the the more brighter. Uh, normals and then there's you know your bells right everyone goes in google gaga for the bells i'm, I'm a sucker like a for the normal i, I really like bell. um I don't, I don't think it's i don't think that term is relative to like genetics or anything like that i think it just it, it relates more to like a cleaner bell uh, yeah. pattern where there's no saturation of black into yellow and vice versa um yeah. i i haven't been able to hatch a normal um lace from my bells to normal females okay. that's a little bit interesting um and i think 
you know, if, if, if a couple more clutches come out this way, I think it's safe to say that the male bells that I have could be homozygous. But, uh, I mean, as far as that's concerned, you know, <clears throat> it's kind of a moot point to, to kind of speculate right now with it being, you know, there's a lot of people producing, you know, lace right now, so to yeah. speak, it, it, by relative terms to what was being produced before. But, you know, when you when you're diving into the genetics of the bells and you know all these other things i feel that i still think that's relatively new and fresh and still needs a lot more exploring to happen before people can start putting market names on these animals yeah yeah that's that's a whole world of interesting stuff with that because um i know both exist out in the wild um and you can actually have both types of animals if i'm not mistaken in the same areas right yeah, so right outside Sydney, you have both, you know, the Bell's form, the Bell's phase lace and regular, actually darker form animals. Hmm. Um, I have both. I have the dark face. Actually, I have all three now. I have the blues with the brighter colors, the Bell's, and the darker formed animals. And one of the darker formed animals is actually that striped female that I want to kind of breed back to a high colored male so that we can bring those stripes out with more color. Mm-hmm. Man, those are exciting projects. What, while you were uh, while you were in <laughs> away, dropped the uh, the service for whatever reason. Uh, I kind of talked about your your big pink male and how first off real that thing is. Second, <laughs> it really it's just a it's. I don't even know how to explain it. I, I wasn't expecting. I was expecting to see kind of a dirty monitor in certain kind of lighting that looked pink and to see it in person and see that this thing actually is pink and black. Uh, what are, what are your thoughts on that and possibly reproducing that? Um, yeah, it's, it's very much in the works. Um, I held back a couple of animals that, you know, I definitely want to put back on him, um, and see what, what can happen with that, that pink coloration from him. Um, he wasn't always that pink, you know, he's, he started out when I first, when we first got him in, uh, from Europe, he was, he was not quite that pink. So it really developed over, over the course of, um, the last couple of years as he's matured into a, a gigantic animal, um, that just, he's pink from head to toe, you know, it's, it's incredible. Um, so hopefully if we can get, you know, a like female, she doesn't have to be just as pink as him. And I don't anticipate any of the ones that we held back to be just as pink as him because they share the females qualities and, and they're both normal animals, but to be able to breed it back to him is exciting. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, just wanting to speculate with, with the possibilities that are out there with that animal, you know, hopefully we can create some, some really high pink animals in the future. Did you see any any evidence or any pictures of pink animals out in the wild? I haven't. Actually, most of the animals that I've seen in the wild have a lot of cross saturation between the the black and the yellow, or the black and the. Uh, <clears throat> it's almost like a a vanilla colored on some of these animals, mm -hmm. um, but I have not seen uh, pink in, in wild in wild uh wild photographs of wild bait of of wild ba uh, bells out there um and i also have not seen animals with the that 
you know, symmetry in between the, the colors where it's all black in the black areas and it's all yellow in the yellow or white in the white areas. Yeah. Not very many of those out there. Yeah. yeah. It's because we've been able to keep, keep them and clean them up a little bit, right? Breed animals that were possibly more cleaner than yeah, that's, in the wild. Yeah, in the that's wild, the just one in, in one in a million. But in captivity, we have them, so right. That's why, right? That's why we really right, clean right. them up. Um, you know, I get man. All right, I wanted to see if you were to help me understand this again. I asked you a little bit before, but since we're still on the genetics thing, so <clears throat> to make, all right, we're about to get into this conversation about crosses and hybrids, and you know, making one hundred percent animals <laughs> out of uh, animals that I, I, I used to make. 50% animals. So I have Kai Islands, right? And I've already bred the male to an Indicus. <clears throat> now, basically, the Indicus is is carrying the Kai Island for me that I want to breed back to my peers. So I currently have a 50% that I can breed to a 100%. That'll give me 75%, right? Babies. Yeah, so 50% to 100% will get you 75 and then you got to breed the 75 back to another 100% to get your 100% animal. All right. Now, I guess, I mean, maybe you don't know this, but what happens with the the, the carrier, the, the indicus part? Like um, what, I, what I'm hoping for is it, it has all the characteristics of Kyle and where it has the pink tongue and, and all that stuff, right? The throw, like for, for the most part. Everything is like a Kylin except for the tongue. The tongue is, I can tell the female, it's a, it may be the male's patterning on, on the outside, but it's the female inside. Like her, her body shape, the, the, her, her jaw shape, um, the tongue, the scalation is also like mom's and not like, so dad has elephant skin, like smooth, almost human like, right? But the female has plated skin where every scale has a has a little scale on it that comes out and protrudes out. So it's almost like rough in a, in a sense and not smooth. So what happens to that last all that last part, even if they were to I were to make 100 percent, what would happen to all that? Well, you're essentially being that that those aspects out right i mean yeah if you want i mean it, let's just say that you wanted to keep the the, the tongue color uh, i don't i wanted i wanted to be Ky okay I, I wanted to be kyle as much as possible so i wanted to be pink you know and i'm, I'm hoping the seven yeah what so happened? the 75 percent animal if you want to retain as much kyle as as possible, you'd have to breed that 75% animal back to 100% in order to to get as much of that that genetic makeup of the Kai Island animal into your new progeny, your, your new clutch. Yeah. So, Alan, this has been on my mind for a while. It's basically my project within a project within a project again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, at first it was just the mangrove monitors and then it was the parthenogenic stuff now that project's kind of done um i still have to hatch out more clutches but that project is basically finished now it's the the mixed mutts 
and then be breeding back to 100% and then breeding those back to 100% again. So, yeah, this will be a few years, but... Um, <laughs> You're going to get all kinds of... Uh, I mean, it, we're just talking lizards. The snake world is kind of a whole different yeah. aspect of this and the, all the terms. And, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to change the, the monitor game a little bit, introduce a smaller, high yellow monitor yeah. that um, people can keep, you know? Um, most people love the water monitor factor, love the Nile factor, but damn, they, they just get so big, you know? Um, the three-foot lizard is where it's at. The three -foot <laughs> I agree, actually. Outside of Spencer's. I agree. <laughs> the two to three foot. I mean, shoot. If I like, I love lace monitors. The the look and and um, you know they're supposed to be pretty pretty voracious too. And um, I just can't keep them. You know, I just I, I don't think I'd be able to fully support one the way I want to. And um, that's yeah. why I basically don't have them. Yeah. Yeah, Alex. Actually, you were talking about uh, you know you got to hold back some animals for this lace project. But I mean, we're talking lace monitors. That's a lot of animal. So, oh, how do you make this stuff work? And do you need, you know, my help? I I, I could help you <laughs> store some of these animals. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean it's it's basically playing cage Jenga, right? You gotta yeah you gotta yeah just put stuff to make room for other stuff, and you put cages yeah. on, on another cage and take advantage of your vaulted ceilings as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. uh, that's what I'm yeah. doing right now. Like but Alan, yes, I will take, I will take that into consideration if I need to, um, move animals from, from one place to the other, because I'm running I out just, of space. It's just, you know, if you need to, I, I could help you with that. So <laughs> out of the kindness of my heart alone. <laughs> oh, I know. It's it's like, a huge Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> man it might be how much do they eat hold on maybe i'm <laughs> they, eat, they eat drumsticks like every day <laughs> they eat a lot of drumsticks a lot of hard-boiled egg crumbled up yeah. um turkey with giz oh it froze for a second it, you know there's a lot of wild uh squirrels and, and chickens that live around where i'm at so um have to cage them, man. I might have to tap into that a bit. So, oh, man, you guys are still going through um, Carl, right? He's like, I don't know. I, I mean, I send a lot of people to him, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you guys are you guys are all ordering from him, right? Just to make sure you guys are getting good stuff. I am. Uh, I just met Carl the other day, actually. Uh, he came and dropped off some stuff in person, so it's the first time I, I met him in person. Um, yeah, he's, he's he's strange, but I respect him a lot, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm, well, he's got cool stuff. Who isn't in this? When when you got a guy that's gonna come deliver to you in person a bunch of frozen birds and mice, you know, you, yeah. you're probably a little straight. It looks like we lost Alex again, but we're right around that that two hour mark, anyways. So, um, well, yeah, uh, Carl out there for anybody in California, this is uh, your 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 uh, your your plug, man. Uh, I I really appreciate. We really appreciate you as supporting west coast monitor keepers you know yes. with quality products that um basically is hard to get so uh, a little background carl is a falconer he is not a monitor keeper at all but falcons need to eat very clean prey items very good stuff quality they just they just can't have 
a ton of fat and they can't have they have to have lean good stuff so it's got to be fresh and things like that and honestly even though monitors have crazy digestive systems and can eat a rotting mouse i i don't want to have that and store that or you know i'm trying to give them things that are or a little bit more cleaner where I know the quality where it came from. Yeah. It hasn't been frozen for tons and tons of time. And so, and even then, if things were a hiccup, he'd take care of you. Um, oh, yeah. So, so um, you know, he's very, very good on timing and shipping and things like that. So uh, his name is uh, Carl Gene Kirster. If you're able to find him on, on Facebook, I think he's only really on Facebook. He's an older gentleman, so he, I don't think he does all the Instagram and things like that. But uh, he does dog training and, and all this other stuff. And as far as taking care of me, taking care of the monitor community or even reptile people within California, Northern California, Southern California, um, he can basically ship to all of us for a very, very decent price on food items that may cost you an arm and a leg this the, the, in these times. You know, everything has gone up. Everything has gone up. Like yeah. just the shipping and freight to ship someone's dog and cat food to feed their rats or or the bedding alone wood has gone up so you what, what else is going to go up everything that comes with it you know just just the mention shipping and freight has gone up so much that it's made everything go up everything, everything. i agree and so um, just for the listeners out there real quick um alex had to drop off he's he's messaging me so uh but yeah we're gonna we're going to wrap it up, but uh, he asked, hey, can we do it again? We're actually at a computer, so Kai, I think we'll have him out again where uh, things are a little more stable. Yeah, and, uh, we'll try to get John in here, too. It would be a party, man. Kind oh, of, man. <laughs> yeah, that would be good stuff. Kind of miss uh, miss hearing his uh, his uh, his accent. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, we're all like California-like, and he's like, <laughs> yeah. I don't even want to mock him. that would be a lot of fun um on that note um i guess we'll wrap it up here and uh you know kai where can everybody find you i think you mentioned a little bit in where you're at but where can people find you yeah um uh, i'm on youtube as a mangrove mecca that's the mangrove uh space mecca mcca uh you can find me on instagram at big lizard Big underscore lizard one oh three. And you can find me on Facebook just under Kai Fan. That's K-H-A-I. Last name P-H-A-N as in Nancy. And um, yeah, I'm I'm much more responsive on Facebook than anything else. So if you were to, uh, needing to message me or get a hold of me, don't get me wrong, I'll come to Instagram, but Facebook uh, happens to be my uh, my go-to mm-hmm. and, and email uh you can find me at origins reptile on facebook and origins underscore reptile on uh instagram um that'd probably be the best ways to get a hold of me uh you can always go ahead and send me a message with any questions um i usually get back to you sometimes i get a little busy of course with everything going on but i do like helping out getting back to people um and just Alex fell off, but give him a, a chance, you know, to, to get his plug in there. Um, go ahead. If you don't know Sim Container, look up Sim Container. Uh, they're used all over the world. Um, they have a great product. I 
pretty much use them exclusively unless something like a, a clutch of carpet eggs won't actually fit in their extra large container. Um, so I'm using sim containers pretty much for all my dwarf monitor species, um, my flavies, uh, sand monitors, um, anything that will fit and kind of in that range is what I'm using. And, you know, I'm, I'm having some really good success using their products. Um, again, they've been used worldwide. Sometimes, you know, it's, you know, you're good when the products sell out, you got to get in there quick and uh, you're scrambling to find who still got them in stock. So, um, definitely, you know, uh, reach out, don't hesitate when they are available. Uh, they really are good and they go fast. So, um, go look on their website. You can just actually do a, a image search on, um, sim containers or on like Instagram and you can see the kind of animals that they're hatching out of these things from yeah, lizards, they're, snake. They're 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 very easy to find. Basically, got a million reviews on on the on the internet as far as um, just just what they provide for the for the community in in its own. And so, right. you know, quality animals, information, um, just to just Alan and myself, John and Alex are a wealth of information right they're just the two alone are basically guys that have helped both of us um come to where we are with our own animals um and you know from when i was a kid and them seeing them now i mean they haven't missed a beat at all and they've never there's no smut on that record at all you know and um it's basically quality guys that you're working with here um, so yeah, sim container. That's where it's at. Yeah, check them out. All right, guys. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time.